You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Weekend Review. Here are your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Welcome back to the Collegian Weekend Review, where we give you an inside look into Michigan's oldest college newspaper. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Today, we'll be talking to Jillian Parks about the recent controversy with off-campus permissions being given out almost only to seniors. Then we'll be talking to Thomas McKenna about a firefighter in Reading who is a high schooler and made a very heroic rescue, as well as a recent piece of legislation to bring wolves into the lower peninsula of Michigan. Then we'll be talking to Christian Peck Dimmitt about Charger men's basketball. And finally, I'll talk to Lauren about what happened to campus during the power outages after last week's ice storm. This is Lauren, and I am here with Jillian Parks, a reporter for the Collegian and the social media manager. She wrote an opinion piece this week um, about off-campus housing permission being granted too inconsistently. So tell us about this article, Jillian. Why did you want to write it in the first place? Um, so conversations had been circulating pretty often about off-campus housing because this is the time of year where they start to send out the waves and everybody's really anxious about like am I going to get it am I going to get it and a lot of people at the end of the day end up getting it but there is a lot of talk before then that's uh, it looks like it's just kind of like mediating talk from the deans being like don't expect to get it if you're not a senior like don't expect to be able to get off campus and my friends and I um, had already had like plans and like worked out ways that we wanted to be able to live together the next year and then only three of us got it and the other four were left without um, and so we were just talking about it a lot. We, everybody was making really good points about like why this was a bad system. And I just felt like it was an opinion that needed to be represented in the collegian. Um, and so I saw it on the board actually at, a, at an assignment meeting and I was like, oh, perfect. Now I'm going to write it. Um, and then I had to do, I had to meet with the deans and stuff to make sure it was fair. But at the end of the day, a lot of it was, was, um, prompted by those conversations and those ideas from my friends and my fellow Hillsdalians. In order to better understand your argument, why don't you tell us the process of how off-campus permission is granted? Yeah, for sure. Um, so basically, they the deans make it very clear that they're committed to making sure seniors get off-campus, but anything past that is more of a luxury or an overflow. So they do a they calculate the number of on-campus beds and they calculate the admission stats for how many people are they're anticipating from the freshman, sophomore, junior, senior classes of the following of the um, upcoming year, how they like their more estimated stats of how many people they think are going to be here. And then they subtract the number of on-campus beds that they have to fill. Um, and those leftover spots are spots that they give out to people to be able to get off campus. In order to cal calculate who gets off campus, they first look at high school graduation year. And then within the graduation year, um, after seniors at least, um, they sort you based off of your number of Hillsdale credits, not like any sort of high school credits or, or AP credits or dual credit. Um, it's all based off of how many classes you've taken here while you've been at Hillsdale. Um, and those are the two stats that they use. They don't use GPA. They don't use literally anything else. Um, and then from there, they work their way down the list, letting off sections of, of people. And then as people deny their off-campus permission, they let more people on and off. No, they let more people off as it goes. I know one of the main points in your opinion piece uh, was that juniors should be able to get off campus partially because they are old enough to have that responsibility and also because there are many um, financial and social benefits to being off campus. So why don't you go 
um, into some of those benefits that you talked about in your piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the first one is is Hillsdale's classic rise to self-governance idea. And I don't think you can expect students to rise to self-governance if they're if they're having their hands held the entire time that they're here living on campus and having to not really have to figure anything out for themselves. I mean, being off campus, you have to sign a lease, you have to negotiate and communicate with a landlord, you have to set communal living standards and organize utilities. Like there's a lot of aspects of being in an off-campus house that don't come with an on-campus house that are super necessary before a student just goes out into the real world and has to start doing those things. Like this is a really good arena for that to be practiced. And I think juniors should be included in that because at, at that point, you've spent two years on campus. You spent two years pouring into campus and like contributing to the campus community that they're important, that the, that the administration um, believes to be important. Um, financially, it's also, it, there is a large difference. I think it's about 3000 if not more dollars a year um, to live on campus than it is off campus. And I mean, the deans will always point you to the financial aid office, but like in all, in all candidness and, and all honesty, like there's not, too much that the financial aid office can do if you just say like I want more money like what so what you actually can do as a student is say I'm going to make the commitment to live off campus I'm going to make the commitment to have to walk a couple couple blocks extra to get to class every day because it's going to save me three thousand dollars um in the future um and three thousand dollars is not like a small amount of money that's that's a good amount of money that students have to figure out how to make up for um especially with just the the cost of living being so high and, and the, the stress of having to take on that financial burden plus a lot of students here are paying for their own education and so finding three thousand extra dollars it looks like signing a loan for three thousand extra dollars that compiles over year, over the years um and so it's just it's a decision that students should be able to make for themselves um and i'm not saying let everybody off campus all the time i'm saying that once you've been here for two years and you've and you've done the work and you've proven that like either academically or, or communally you are pouring into this um the mission of Hillsdale College, you should be rewarded for that and you should be able to go and, and actually start to rise to self-governance. Thank you, Jillian. Anytime. You're listening to the Collegian Week in Review. This is Maddie and I'm here with Thomas McKenna, an assistant sports editor of the Collegian. And this week he wrote a couple of pieces for the city news section. One of them was about a firefighter who is in high school who uh, made a pretty amazing recovery of someone who had gotten into an accident. So, Thomas, tell me about this story. Well, Miles McMinn, who is still in high school, he's a senior at Reading High School. Uh, he just turned 18 on December 31st, and on January 26th, less than a month after his 18th birthday, he's driving home from breakfast with his mother, and uh, I believe with his father as well, and they're coming around this corner on the road, and then they see these tire tracks leading off into uh, the river, or we could probably call it more of a creek. And there's this car, and it's basically half stuck into the river. And so Miles hops out of the car, runs down. His mother drives to the station, picks up a rescue vehicle from the Montgomery Fire Station that Miles uh, works at, and... The rest of the crew comes and Miles and his fire buddies, I guess we could call them, fire and rescue crew, they all help to uh, get the man out of the car. Uh, the fire chief told me that they had to cut through the roof of the car in order to get the guy out. And so that's that's really something for somebody who just turned 18 to be the first on the scene. Are there any other interesting details about this story that you didn't mention? 
I think it's important to mention something that uh, the Montgomery Fire Chief Henry Snellenberger mentioned to me, which is that when I interviewed the crew, they were, I would say, reluctant to praise themselves. Uh, And one of the things that the fire chief mentioned to me is he said, look, this is a very humble crew. And so that made the interview uh, very pleasant, but also a little challenging because I kind of had to bring out all of the heroic details of the story from these firefighters that are there and say, look, we did our job and that's all people really need to know. You also had a story in this week's issue of the Collegian about bringing wolves back to the lower peninsula of Michigan. What is this about? So this is a piece of legislation that was recently proposed by State Representative Greg Markinen. He represents a district that covers most of the western part of the Upper Peninsula. And his reasoning for this bill, which would direct the Michigan Department of Natural Resources to reestablish a viable and self-sustaining wolf population in the Lower Peninsula, his reasoning for this was, look, there are all of these negative effects of having wolves in the Upper Peninsula that we're having to deal with. The Lower Peninsula should have to deal with this too. And one of those pieces of his reasoning was that there are deer in the Upper Peninsula that are being either killed or chased out by wolves in the UP. And so that's driving a lot of hunters out. He mentioned that hunters' licenses in the UP are declining. And so because hunting is a huge part of the industry in the UP, that's damaging their economy. And so it's this entire chain link of economic effects that Representative Markinen is saying, well, we don't want to eliminate wolves. We just want the LP to also have to deal with these problems as well. Did you talk to anyone who is opposed to this legislation? I did. There were two different, we could reasonably call them wolf experts. They're professors in different, one of them is an economics professor who studied the economic effects of wolves, and one of them is a professor who mainly has studied uh, wolf and prey relationships for over 40 years. And each of them disputed, first of all, that hunters were not coming to the UP as much because of the wolves. They said that hunting is in a nationwide decline. And so the UP is not experiencing this uniquely. They also mentioned that wolves in the LP would be less likely to survive and they would not have as good of a habitat. And there were a few reasons for this. One of the reasons is that there's not as many forested areas in the Lower Peninsula. But they also mentioned that social acceptance of wolves in the Lower Peninsula would not be as high, would not match what it is in the Upper Peninsula because UPers are so used to, you know, having wolves in around where they live. Thanks for coming on the show, Thomas. <laughs> of course. Thanks, Maddie. The Collegian Week in Review continues. This is Lauren, and I'm here with Christian peck Dimmit the associate editor at the Hillsdale Collegian. He wrote a story this week about the head coach of the men's basketball team, John Tharp, getting honored for his 500th career win. And then also in the story, he talked about the team advancing to semifinals. Christian, tell us a little bit about this honor. Uh, Yeah, so Coach Tharp won his 500th game, like you mentioned, 
Uh, it was actually a couple of weeks ago, but the season, uh, the regular season for the Chargers ended with three straight away games. He picked it up on the first of those games. Um, so it wasn't until uh, the next home game, which was uh, on Tuesday, that they were able to honor him. So they just did a little tribute video, gave him a, uh, a basketball prior to. He's now the 17th active Division II basketball coach to get to that 500th win, uh, which is a pretty big deal. That's a you know the mark of a very, very good career. Uh, and he actually didn't know about the video. Uh, and remember, the athletic department told me about uh, 20 minutes prior to tip off because they they if you know Coach Tharp, you know anything that kind of gets in the way of once game day has started, you know starting that game, uh, he's not going to be too thrilled with. Uh, so they kind of had to surprise him and show that video. I uh, talked about how emotional it was, and um, you know he was very proud to to see all these guys that many of whom are still. Uh, a part of his life and his two of his three kids, uh, Logan wasn't there, but two of his three kids and his wife uh, were able to be in town uh, with him. The team rebounded from some losses back to back. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so to end the season, uh, I mentioned obviously the three away games. Uh, the one was against Malone. He picked up his 500th win uh, and then Ashland in Ashland and then Finley in Finley uh, took two tough L's. And essentially, those games uh, in the span of about a week took the Chargers from uh, in a position to win the conference and host the whole conference tournament to now, obviously, uh, being the three seed and having to go to Walsh uh, to play the semifinals. And then if they win, they'll still have to be in Walsh uh, to play that final game. And it, it, it really sets up uh, a big game against Ashland on Friday. Ashland is the only team in the conference to have beaten the Chargers twice. Hillsdale has five losses on the season, and two of them, so almost half of their losses, are to Ashland. It's very hard to beat a good team three times in one season, but Ashland is just a very tough matchup for us, and obviously the winner uh, goes to the conference final, so this is just really, you know, setting up for a heavyweight fight. I think it's a 7.30 tip-off on Friday. There were two fifth-year seniors who played a significant role in helping the team win what will most likely be the last home game for all of the seniors. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, Jack Golke and Peter Kaltoff, uh are really the the, t- the team's two best scorers. Actually, they're uh, on the season, I think, only two points apart total uh, that they've scored. They have almost the exact same points per game percentage. Uh, both of them in their fifth years have really stepped up and, and meant a lot to this program and this year's season. Uh, additionally, uh, Cole Now, Kyle Gessler also start their fourth-year seniors, but this was probably their last game. And then Noah Applegate and Jacob Nagobi come off the bench. They were both able to make it into their, their final home game. Uh, and because, like I said, the two uh, away losses, uh, they will be headed to Walsh for their final couple of games of the conference tournament. And unless, uh, really barring a miracle, uh, Tuesday was the, those seniors' final time stepping on uh, Don Tibbetts Potter in a court uh, which was big it's emotional for them I talked to a couple of them about it they really just kind of echoed the the duality of their it's very sad you know they had these great long careers here and it's coming to a close but at the same time 
while they're not at home, they still do have games left, so it really hasn't uh, it hasn't hit them yet. Thank you for joining us, Christian. As always, a pleasure. This is the Collegian Week in Review. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Lauren, my co-host and the assistant opinions editor of the Collegian. This week, she wrote a few stories for the Collegian. One of them was the top story of the paper, which was about the power outages that the campus and the county experienced after last week's ice storm. Um, And Lauren discussed what campus did and what it looked like getting power back. So, Lauren, tell me a little bit more about this story. Yeah, of course. So, basically, on February 22nd, there was a very bad ice storm, and it was unique uh, compared to other ice storms in the past because there was freezing rain, which would freeze onto the power lines and also tree branches. And so obviously that had an effect on the power outage. There was also um, a major transformer located in cold water that blew and that caused a lot of transformers on campus and in the Hillsdale area to also be blown, um, according to Joe Kellum, Associate Director of Security and Emergency Management. I know that the college had some generators that they used for certain buildings. Uh, What else do you know about that? So something that Joe Kellum in security told me was that the college in the beginning of the power adage had a limited amount of generators and the student union and Christ Chapel were the buildings that were prioritized as far as getting the generators. And the reason for that is they wanted this student union to have power um, or at least have some power to stay warm so that if they were off-campus students or students in residence halls or dorms, they could go there to get warm. And they also had the generators in the Christ Chapel because it was 24 hours of prayer. And they were originally planning to do that in the small chapel and old snack bar, but then the power went out there. So then they had approval from, I think it was the deans to do it in the small day chapel in Christ Chapel. There were also additional uh, generators purchased. Head of maintenance, Dave Billington, made the decision to purchase the generators to put in the dorms that did not already have them. I believe there were three residence halls on campus, uh, McIntyre, Mock Residence, and Galloway, that had generators, and so they never lost power. But as far as all the other dorms, there was no heat, cold water, no lights, and so definitely not ideal. And also at night, really dark, can't see anything. And so I know it was a priority to have the generators in the dorms. And so that's why they purchased them. And then all day on Thursday, so that would have been the 23rd, they were installing them. What did the students you talked to have to say about uh, what it was like for them during the power outage? So the majority of students I talked to were actually happy that uh, classes were canceled and 
didn't seem to dislike the power outage. I think for a lot of people, with a few exceptions, the general consensus was that it was a time to kind of unplug, not be so relied on technology, and to make the most of it. So I talked to uh, Rachel Warren, who's a senior and head RA in New Dorm. She said that uh, a lot of the girls in the dorm were drinking coffee from the Keurig and playing Wii, which they never would have done if the power was on. And then I talked to Chris Dick, a junior, who is an RA in the suites. He said that all the guys had like a big meat party where they took the meat from their fridge and grilled it outside so it wouldn't expire. And so it seems like people had a pretty good time. On the other side of things, I did talk to some staff who didn't have as fun of a time. So a staff nurse at the health center here on campus, she was without power for six days. And she said that they had to load their wood-burning stove every five hours to keep their house warm. And on the first night or the first couple of nights, she said um, her family had to move their mattresses in front of the stove to stay warm throughout the night. And so whenever the majority of Hillsdale had power back, she still did not. And I think that was the reality for a lot of people who live in rural Jonesville, which is close to Hillsdale. Thanks for sharing, Lauren. You're welcome. You have been listening to the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We're your hosts, Lauren Scott and Maddie Welsh. You can find the Collegian online at hillsdalecollegian.com or on Instagram and Twitter at hdalecollegian. You can also find previous episodes of the Collegian Weekend Review online at cwir.transistor.fm. Once again, you have been listening to the Collegian Weekend Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.